The Word of God is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it is a privilege to bring this message to you today through our CD and Internet ministry here at Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. While Pastor Matt is out of town, our children's pastor, Nathan Ream, will be talking about two worldviews, one that is biblical and one that Satan has tricked and duped many people with in this current age. Let's join now Nathan as he brings us the Word of God. Um, last September, Shane and I got to share a Sunday. Anybody remember that? I brought up uh, having a biblical worldview and what that is and how we're trying to treat that, teach that to your kids and how important it is to have a biblical worldview and how we look at the world. And, and I want to slow down and, and take some time to go more in depth with it this time. So a biblical worldview. And I got this from Barna Research Group. If you guys have heard of Barna, he's, he's a real good guy. They've been doing a lot of research for a long time. So a good, reliable source. A biblical worldview is defined as believing that absolute moral truth exists. The Bible is totally accurate in all of the principles it teaches. Satan is considered to be a real being. A person cannot earn their way into heaven by trying to be good or do good works. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on earth. And God is the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the world who still rules the universe today. So that's Barna's definition of a biblical worldview, which is a good one. So... What percentage of Americans have a biblical worldview? There's 300 million Americans right now. So what percentage of Americans do you think of the Christian nation, America, have a biblical worldview? 12? 9%. So 27 million, give or take a few hundred thousand, have a biblical worldview. 9%. So that's pretty low. Okay, what percentage of born-again Christian adults have a biblical worldview. And when Barna says born-again Christian, this is his definition for this, okay? Born-again Christians were defined as people who said they had made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ, that it was still important in their life today, and who also indicate they believe that when they die, they will go to heaven because they had confessed their sins and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, okay? Decent definition of a born-again Christian, right? Most of us, if we heard our family members say that, or a kid at school, or some kid in the neighborhood, we're like, all right, he's a, he's a Christian, you know, he, I'm, he's good, Right? But I think we need to probe more, and by the end of this, hopefully, we'll, we'll know how to probe more and ask them some different questions to make sure they have a proper biblical worldview. 19% have a biblical worldview. So, 81 don't. Let's break it down even farther. What percentage of born-again adults believe in absolute moral truth? You know how hard it is to find a definition of absolute moral truth? No one wants to say anything. Nothing's absolute. It's a whatever, you know, there's no standard. So, 46% of born-again adults, because I say adults here because the the statistics with the kids is even worse. So, this is adults because you guys are adults and that's who we're talking to today. So, 46% believe in absolute moral truth. What percentage of born-again adults believe the Bible is accurate in all the principles it teaches? 25, you can say them louder. 30. 79. Oh, C plus. <laughs> Not that, I mean, you know. Um, what percentage of born-again adults are convinced that Satan is real? 100%, right? No. Nope. Anybody remember these from September? 40%. So 60%. Don't believe that uh, Satan is, they're not convinced that Satan is real. Yeah. Uh, what percentage believe that Jesus lived a sinless life? 
These are born-again adults, people who say, you know, they have a relationship with Jesus, it's important to them today, and when they die, they're going to go to heaven because they confess their sins in Jesus. 62. I heard 64 over here, that was close. 62% believe that Jesus lived a sinless life. So I don't know what they're teaching at other churches. Well, I guess when you, if you watch Christian TV, you can see why some of these statistics are like this. Okay, what percentage say that God is the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe who still rules it today? Ninety-three. Okay, so they believe that, but then you know they're having problems with the details. So that's what we're going to talk about the details today, okay? Because uh, there's a lot of disconnect here of what the Bible says and what they're doing, or what they believe. Or okay, less than. One half of a percent of 18 to 23 year olds have a biblical worldview. So 99.5% of the 18 to 23 year olds do not have a biblical worldview. That's everybody. That's part of that 9% there. So most college campuses aren't filled with a bunch of kids with a biblical worldview. So. Okay, so if you believe in absolute moral truth, that the Bible is accurate, Satan is real, Jesus lived a sinless life, God is the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe who still rules it today, then you're part of that 19%. It's a huge minority. And then if you're 18 to 23, you're old, you know, you're, you're part of that half percent. So who's in, who in here is 18 to 23? Dana Portis, anybody else? <laughs> okay, a couple. All right, awesome. Okay, like I said, this is hard to find a definition for this, absolute moral truth. No one wants to agree on this. Pages and pages and pages of junk to try to weed through to get this, okay? Absolute is... Not restricted and unchanging. It applies to all people, all places, all times. Okay? Moral, relating to the principles of right and wrong. Truth, being in accord with fact or reality. So the fact and reality is you know, that we have principles of right and wrong. You know, and they apply to all people all the time in all places. Okay? It's not different because you live in Temecula or you live in Marietta or you live in Africa and all this kind of stuff. Absolute moral truth. The Bible, right? That's the only place we're going to find absolute moral truth. Because we don't, we look somewhere else, you know, and everybody did right in our own eyes, the Bible says. So, John seventeen seventeen, sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. I mean, God didn't say, hey, be good till I get back and you can make up your own definition of goodness. Okay, we know what he loves, we know what he hates. The, the scriptures make it clear. Second um, Peter 1, 3 and 4 says that he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Okay, the scriptures are complete. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through the lust, through lust. So we don't have to settle for the world's definition of moral truth. We don't have to settle for the latest, greatest fad of this is good, this is not good. Hey, vitamin C is good, vitamin C is bad. I mean, they change your mind all the time about everything. So, so it's nice to have, it's nice to know that we do have absolute moral truth. Okay, in 1963, they really started pushing evolution. It started being federally funded. And uh, they charted what happens you know, when you tell the kids that, you know, they're not created by God, they're pond scum, you know, over billions of years, and all this other stuff. So, percentage of teen girls who had had premarital sex, sex out of marriage, fornication, skyrockets, boom, this is 1990, okay? Um, sexually transmitted t- um, diseases in 10 to 14-year-olds, up 385%, boom, you see it just climbing up. Um, birth rates for unwed girls, 10 to 14 years of age started climbing up. It says, you know, birth rate's up 100%, and then pregnancies 553, 
the difference there is uh, abortion. Only you know, a few of them are having the kids. Violent crimes, up almost a thousand percent. Okay? I mean, when you tell people, hey, there's no right and wrong, do whatever you want as long as you don't get caught by the police, you know, you have all these smart criminals doing all these crazy things because they're not accountable to anybody. Um, what's this one? Divorce rates, up. Illegal drugs, up 6,000%. Okay, in the 60s, right? Not getting any better. Teen suicide rates, going up. And like I said, this is 1990. You know, I need to get some newer stuff next time, sorry. Uh, oh, here's a good thing. This went down. Our SAT scores. <laughs> uh, who has taken their SAT scores in the 1985-86 range? All right. Uh, the only reason it started going up is because they dumbed down the test. They made it easier because they're like, whoa, we can't do this. Look at this. So, <laughs> so that's why, okay? they will be like, yes, that was me. Pastor Matt said that was him right there. That's me right there. So... But no, they dumbed down the test to make it easier for us. So, you know, when we take away God's absolute truth and replace it with whatever, that's what happens, okay? We can statistically graph it. Let's look at point number two. Is the Bible totally accurate in all the principles it teaches? Yes, right? In Bible college, they taught us a cool little acronym called MAPS. Has anybody heard of it? What's the M stand for? Manuscripts. I heard somebody say yes. Archaeology, prophecy, and statistics. We know the Bible's accurate through those things, okay? That's just some of the things. And you guys can spend more time on this at home. Hopefully I can just give you a taste of what's out there and, you know, so you can study to show yourself approved. So uh, manuscripts, there's over 25,000 manuscripts for the New Testament. No other book can claim anywhere close to that. I think the closest thing I looked up was like 1,200 manuscripts for, for stuff. I mean, Shakespeare's stuff is 400 years old and it's not even that good. Okay, and this is stuff is 2,000 years. Old Testament stuff, 19, uh, sorry, 14,000 manuscripts for the Old Testament. Liberals love to use that, you know, oh, the Bible's been changed over all these years. You, know, you can't copy it that good. And then what they find in the 40s? The Dead Sea Scrolls, right? And they said, oh, it, it is good. <laughs> so, I mean, we have so much proof. Manuscripts prove the Bible over and over and over and over again. Archaeology. Archaeology, time and time again, you know, they say, hey, Jonah can't be real, there's no Nineveh. We haven't found Nineveh. Jonah, the book of Jonah is a fake. And then they find Nineveh, you know. Or they say, oh, the walls of Jericho, you know, they couldn't have been like that. And then they find them just like it says, the way they fell down and everything. So, um, archaeology proves the Bible over and over again. Then they said, uh, you know, they have thousands of arguments, but a couple of them. And they said, oh, there's no way the children of Israel could have crossed the Red Sea. It's too, it's too deep on the sides. And then some archaeologists found a perfect land bridge going across, you see how it's all deep on the sides? And you get the smooth spot going through the middle. It's not deep at all, nice gradual slope, everything. And they said, maybe they crossed right there. And they went down and, and dived underneath and they found chariot wheels that were used by Egyptians. So it's probably just a coincidence, though. <laughs> but, but I mean, archaeology proves the Bible over and over and over again. Like I said, I hope this just sparks your interest and you guys can go home and study these things. You know, they have whole... You know, semesters of Bible college on archaeology and the Bible and manuscripts and all these things. It's just, you know, we can spend months and months on any one of these topics. Prophecy. I had about 84 slides worth of prophecy, and Pastor Matt said, you need to tone it down a little. <laughs> so, um, be born in Bethlehem, that he would, you know, great people would come and see him, be anointed by the Spirit of God, all these things over and over. These are just the prophecies that uh, deal with Jesus. 
So, tons and tons and tons of them. Be struck on the cheek, be spit on, be mocked. All these things in the Old Testament, how Jesus fulfilled them perfectly to the day. So prophecy can go on and on and on and on. Hopefully you guys study these things at home. Okay, statistics. There is no way a book with over 40 authors written over a period of 1,500 years in three different languages addressing hundreds of different topics could blend so perfectly, you know. I mean, they try to do it all the time. This Joseph Smith guy tried to do that by himself, you know, in one language, and he messed it all up. You know, let alone, could you imagine 40 different people over 1,500 different years passing the torch and, you know, keeping that? And overall, um, weave the, the history of redemption through the whole thing, too, and it's only through the, the Holy Spirit. Second uh, Peter one twenty one. For prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The only reason the Bible is so accurate in the, with the prophecies and its manuscripts and archaeology and all these things is because God told these guys what to write. He knows the beginning from the end and everything in between. So that's why we can rely on the scriptures, okay? And know that they're accurate. Next, change lives. How many of you guys have been changed by the Word of God? You know, there's lots of people that try all kinds of stuff. We had a, a biblical counseling class at the Bible College, and we had a guest speaker come in. His name was Ed Bulkley. I don't know if any of you guys have heard him. He's written a lot of books. He's out of Colorado, and he deals with biblical counseling all the time. And he deals with a lot, a lot of super hard cases, people who have tried everything in the world. I mean, they've sat on the most expensive leather couches. They've gone on treks in the you know, jungle to go lick frogs and to fix their problems and all these different things. And then nothing works after they spent tens of thousands of dollars and, and all these different things. And then they get a hold of Ed, and Ed says, he listens to their story, listens to their, their problems, and he goes, you have HDS. And they're like, oh, I do? HDS? I never heard of that. And, you know, thinking they're going to find a cure. And they're like, what's HDS? He says, human deficiency syndrome. <laughs> you know, you're a sinner, and you need a savior. And once he communicates the gospel to them, and they accept Jesus as their savior, and he starts teaching them scripture, and they memorize scripture, and apply scripture to a life when they get tempted or whatever happens, I mean, they get better. I mean, people can attest to that all the time. That's what Lou does. That's what we all should be doing, right? That's what Jesus did in the wilderness. Scripture, Scripture, Scripture. The Scriptures change lives. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and powerful. You guys ever, you guys underline your Bibles? Highlight and stuff like that? You ever go back and read something a couple years later or a couple months later and you're like, why didn't I highlight that? You know, why did I highlight that? And all these different things because it's alive and powerful. You know, this is the only book that reads us. So Romans 1.16, for it is the power of God to salvation for anyone who believes. You know, time and time again, we can all attest to this, that the scriptures change lives. John 8.32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Like I said, when people try everything else and they come to the scriptures, it's the scriptures that set them free from whatever bondage. Is Satan real? I was going to do my whole topic on this because I was so disgusted <laughs> that 60% of uh, born-again Christians don't believe that or aren't convinced that Satan is real, okay? He's got tons of names. The Accuser, our Adversary, the Dragon, the Izzelbub, the Deceiver, the Devil, the Father of Lies, Lucifer, Prince and Power of the Air, the Serpent of Old. You know, it's not like Satan, there's only like one or two verses here and there about Satan. You know, there's hundreds of times he's mentioned. Um, how far into the Old Testament do you have to read before you find Satan? How many chapters? My long ways, right? You've got to be dedicated reading scripture for months before you find Satan. Genesis chapter what? Uh, chapter 3, right? When she deals with the serpent. How far into the New Testament do you read before you find Satan? 
Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is in the wilderness, right? I mean, did Jesus believe that Satan was real? Or was he like, you know, arguing with himself out there? Or, you know, his imaginary friend? Or, you know, Satan is real. Jesus said he's real. Time and time again, Jesus talked about Satan and warned us about him. First Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant. Vigilant, yeah. Because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Remember when Jesus said to Peter, get behind me? Satan, right? I mean, do you want Jesus to tell you guys that? No, never, right? But Peter knew that the devil was out looking for him, right? And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Right? And Jesus says, I prayed for you, though. So the devil, the devil wants to tear us up, right? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? Ephesians 6.1, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes or the deception of the devil. Okay? He's a master deception, the father of lies. Um, Satan is a liar and a great deceiver. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. This is Satan's big lie, the lie. Chapter 3, verse 1. Yep, Genesis 3 1. 3 1. Genesis. You're welcome. I know, I'll talk louder, I'm sorry. Okay, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Right? So this is his number one thing, is to doubt God's word. Okay, did he, did he really say that? Are you sure? Are you sure? Maybe we misheard him, right? And then Eve said, Yeah, that's what he said. No. Okay. Um, verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, lest you die. Okay? And then what does Satan say here? You shall not surely die. He calls God a liar. That Satan's constant goal is to get God off the throne of your life and to put him on the throne or something else on the throne, right? He doubt God's word, you know, what was it, 79% believe that the Bible is accurate? And so he's, he's, he's got some people believing that. So he wants to call God a liar. You shall not surely die. You know, God was just kidding. Um, for he knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So in a sense he's saying, you know, God is holding out on you. If you reject what he says, you'll be enlightened and receive secret knowledge because you'll be your own God. How many people are buying into this lie? You know, everybody loves secret knowledge. Ooh, I know something you don't know. Even Christians do that, you know. We learn in the scriptures and all this kind of stuff and we look at people and like, you're so lost, you don't even know. Well, why don't you tell them, right? Mormons, secret knowledge, going to the temple, do all your secret stuff. Everybody has secret knowledge. The Masons, all these guys, secret, secret, secrets, right? Jesus said, I did nothing in secret. So anytime you, you know, get a hold of a group and they have all the secret stuff, you know, hey, become part of us and let's teach you the handshake and all that. It's bad news, okay? Satan wants to, you know, pretend like you're going to get secret knowledge and all this other stuff. And he opened their eyes and it wasn't good, was it? So there is going to be an end of Satan, Right? Right? He's not going to be able to do this forever and ever and ever and ever. Revelation 20, verse 10. The devil uh, who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. But is he there, is he there right now? No, right? He's out deceiving people right all the time. He never takes a day off. 
You'll never catch Satan sitting by the pool on vacation, okay? He's going to be out to kill, steal, and destroy all the time. You know, the more and more you watch TV, hopefully you can see how he's, you know, wiggling his way in there. Even some of the kids' cartoons. I was watching the kids the other day, and, you know, Babar. you think Babar would be pretty safe. And she's in there casting spells and learning all this stuff. I'm like, what? Um, what is Satan's goal for humanity? What's his main, what's his main goal? What is he out to do? Kill, steal, and destroy, right? But why? I mean, he wants to keep as many people out of heaven as possible, right? That's his whole goal. He, he hates you because you have the opportunity to go there. So he's going to do whatever he has to to keep us from going there. Whatever lie he's got to tell you, maybe he gives you stuff to keep you out of there. Maybe he takes stuff away, you know? It doesn't always have to be like Job where everything gets taken away and crushed and all that. Sometimes he can just, you know, keep you busy with what good stuff. Okay, what is his goal for Christians? Once we put our trust in Jesus and our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and he can't do anything about it, what's his next goal? If he can't keep us out of heaven, what's he going to do? Keep us from being blessed? Huh? Make us ineffective, right? Make us look like hypocrites. How many of your family members say, yeah, I'd love to go to church, but it's full of hypocrites, right? All kinds of stuff. I think his goal is to keep us busy doing whatever so we're not walking with the Lord, you know? Because when you meet those Christians that have an awesome walk with the Lord and they're totally on fire for Jesus, I mean, they're contagious. People want to know, hey, what's he have? Why is he like that? How come he has peace that surpasses all understanding? You know, what makes him so different? And you tell them all about Jesus and they get saved and it's awesome. But if it makes you look like a hypocrite and you're just like everybody else except for you waste two hours on a Sunday morning, you know, that doesn't look attractive. So, and the line between Christian and non-Christian nowadays is, you know, right there, there's not a huge gap. Well, those are the Christians over there. I mean, it's, they're just like us. Um, Now I want you guys to ask yourself, Lord, where am I being deceived? You know, think about your life for a second and, you know, am I being deceived anywhere? I mean, if we're not putting on the whole armor of God every day, you know, chances are we're being deceived. And I tell the kids this all the time. If Satan can deceive angels to leave heaven, angels that have seen God work, have seen you know, God create things, have seen God in person, how easy is it going to be for him to deceive us? I mean, it's like child's play, right? like tricking a kindergartner. Um, I didn't say if you're being deceived, right? Where am I being deceived? Um, 1 Corinthians 10, um, 12 says, Therefore, let whom him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Okay? So don't think, well, I'm not deceived. I'm doing everything right. You know, everything's good. Right? Here's a little test. And I think the Lord holds me to this criteria and he reminds me of this all the time and I, I wanted to write it down for you guys. Could it be if, if you aren't reading your Bible on a regular basis or daily basis, you're being deceived? Right? Does Satan want us in the Word? No, that's the last place he wants us, right? The, the Word is our, the sword of the Spirit, right? which is the Word of God. That's our only piece of offensive armor. Um, if you aren't spending time with the Lord every day, are you being deceived? Right? Does, he, does, does Satan want you spending time with Jesus? No, that's the last thing. He, he doesn't want you to know that you can have victory in Jesus, that there's power in his name. He wants you to be defeated and look just like everybody else. Woe is me. I'm getting by. I'll make it. Right? If you're not actively memorizing scripture on a consistent basis, are you being deceived? And you know, we push it on the kids all the time in Awana. And this year we wanted to make sure that all the... LITs and all the adults were memorizing scripture too. You know, we're not going to be like, hey, we want you guys to do this. What did, Satan, what, did, what did Jesus use in the wilderness to fight Satan? Scripture, right? It is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. Right? We can't use our own words, our own scams or whatever. So, if you're not growing in your relationship with the Lord, are you being deceived? All right. Satan would love to see you, you know, off in the corner, not growing, not having any victory in your life. 
dealing with the same old sins you've always been dealing with, keeping you in a rut, keeping you in that hamster wheel, whatever. Um, if you're not sharing your faith on a regular basis, are you being deceived? Yeah, I think so. I know if I go a while without witnessing to somebody, I'm like, and I'm busy doing church stuff, you know, I'm doing all these good things, but if I'm not sticking to the core principles, you know, our core spiritual disciplines, I think I'm being deceived. Even though I'm doing a lot of good stuff, even though I'm spending time with the family and doing this and that, fill in the blank. It's good stuff, but this is the great stuff right here. And if Satan can keep you from doing this, you're going to be ineffective. You're going to, he's going to take you out of the race. He's going to keep you off course, keep you from having that awesome spiritual life and that life more abundantly. Did Jesus live a sinless life? Yes, right? That's like key to Christianity, okay? 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we may become righteous, become the righteousness of God in him. Hebrews 5.14, He was tempted in all points, yet without sin. Okay? We have a, he can sympathize with us. 1 Peter 1.19, But with his precious blood of Christ as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. Right? He's the lamb of God who takes away the... Right? He's God's sacrifice. He met God's punishment. The wrath of God was fulfilled through Jesus because he was not a sinner. If he was a sinner like the rest of us, then he couldn't have paid the price for our sins. He'd be in the same boat. First um, John 3, 5. And you know that he was manifest or made known to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Ezekiel 18, 4 says, The soul that sins shall surely die. Um, Romans six twenty three: For the wages of sin is death. If we sin, we're going to die. Jesus had the power to lay down his life and to freely pick it up again because he wasn't a sinner. If he was a sinner, he'd be just like Buddha and all these other guys. His tomb would be full and we'd be in, in trouble <laughs> if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, right? Um, is God the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe who still rules it today? Yes, he is. He has to be. If God wasn't in control, then he wouldn't be God. We were watching a, a short clip of Way the Master. It's a Ray Comfort video. It teaches you how to go out and street witness using the good test. And he was talking to this one kid. He had this huge pot, pot leaf on his head. And he was all in the new age and all this stuff. And he says, I think God learns from all of us. Is what, is, what is, he kept saying. God can't learn anything new. And is God going to learn from us? You know, was God waiting around for the internet to come out? You know, so you can watch YouTube videos and, and have an email account and all that? No. He's all powerful, all knowing, all the time. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that word created there is bara, and it means to create out of nothing. You know, I can't hold my hand out and say pony and have a little miniature pony right here, right? We can rearrange things, things that already exist to make something. There's thousands and thousands of houses down at Lowe's right now, full, huge houses. We just have to put them together. You know, or a, a painter takes a bunch of different paint, mixes it up, makes an awesome painting, right? Or a poet changes a bunch of words around it makes poetry, but he's still using existing things to create something, right? So he, God is all-powerful in that way. Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen: You made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. We just had a creation seminar here for the kids over Christmas break, and it was talking about the universe. Each one of us could have 11 or 12 trillion stars to ourselves, and God knows them all by name. And those are just the stars we know about, right? Because we don't know about the stars that we don't know about. So, right, every time they, they find a dark spot in the space, they're like, oh, look, no stars. And the longer they stare at it, more and more and more and more and more stars they find. So it's amazing when we look out. It's amazing when they look in the microscope and see how small things get. 
um, is God all-knowing. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. So many people think that, you know, oh, I got away with that. There's so many murders that are unsolved every year. There's so many crimes that get committed that no one gets caught for, right? Does God know? Does he know what happens behind closed doors? Does he know what happens in all these third world countries to all these kids? And it blows me away how patient he is when you, when you see, you know, stories of, you know, I don't want to talk about it, but when you see stories of what happens to kids in these third world countries and how they're being sold and, and you know, farmed off and all kinds of crazy things. And the Lord is still patient, you know, waiting. I'm like, judge that, judge that. I want to go over and judge that. But, but uh, he's patient. Psalms 147.5, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. God can't learn anything new. You know, he's never caught off guard by something you do. Oh, I can't believe he did that. You know, I didn't know that was going to happen. Nothing catches God off guard. He knows everything all the time. Do we really need a biblical worldview? I mean, why can't we just say, hey, Lord, I believe in Jesus. He paid for my sins and I'm done. Why is it important to have a biblical worldview? Concern for the lost? I mean, we want, we want to, you know, give the gospel correctly, don't we? We're like, yeah, there's this one sinner guy named Jesus, and if you just say a prayer, then you're going to go to heaven. That's not going to make sense to anybody, right? But if we know that Jesus lived a sinless life and why he lived a sinless life, if we know that absolute moral truth exists, you know, and what it is, if we know that God is the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe, if, you know, and so on, that Satan is real, that we have an enemy, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, and how to fight that enemy and how to stay on track with the Lord and fight the good fight of faith. If we know that, we're going to be effective Christians, right? Um, Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay? We don't have to be conformed to this world. We don't have to you know, hang out with the latest, greatest fad or what's Oprah doing. You know? We don't have to have that. We have a standard. Colossians 2.8 says, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Jesus is the one that died for our sins, right? He's the one that we need to boast in. He's the, he's the, the one we need to learn about, not all this other stuff. How many of you guys have ever been ripped off or cheated through some kind of philosophy? You thought something was one way, and you're like, okay, that makes sense, and then you find out later, it was a lie. I don't want that to happen to any one of us. You know, it says in the end times there's going to be a lot of deception. We're going to see it more and more. So I don't want anybody to be ripped off and cheated through philosophy and empty um, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. So if we know where our moral standards come from, you know, we're not going to be misled as easily. 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer, to give a defense for, to, to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Should you guys be able to answer people's questions? You know, it'd be great if no one called the church all week asking Bible questions because you were able to talk to them. You know, we love talking to people on the phone. We talk to people on the phone all the time. But it'd be great if all Christians, you know, as soon as they became saved, dove into the Bible and started learning and feasting on it and were able to answer people's questions and not be deceived so easily or tossed to and fro and, and all that. We need to be able to give an answer. And we can have an educated answer. I had a college professor that said, uh, I don't believe in God because, you know, in the Tower of Babel, they're building a tower up to God, and God says, I don't want them up here. They're going to find me. And he you know, crumbled the little tower up and made them speak different languages. He says, we have planes that go higher than the Tower of Babel. There's no God. That was his whole proof for not believing in God because you know, we have telescopes. We don't see him. He can't be there. So 
and I was always writing papers and trying to give a defense. I'd been saved for about six months, you know. And he'd say, I'm tired of young kids coming in here telling me that there's a God and all these different things. So, you know, we have to do it. And I, I memorized this first, you know, real early in my Christian walk. So I want to be able to give a defense to anybody. Second Timothy 2.15, we know this one. Be diligent to present, your, to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I don't know why so many Christians are ashamed to share the gospel. You know, it's the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. You know, why don't we share our faith more? How come we don't, you know, make it more of an effort around Thanksgiving when we meet our family, right? Because we're not being diligent to present ourselves. We're not studying enough. We don't like, what if they ask this? What if they ask that? Well, maybe if I studied more, I don't know. Acts 17, 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with eagerness, examining the scriptures every once in a while, to see if these things were so. No, daily, daily, daily. When we hear something, when you guys make your decisions in life, you need to examine the scriptures to see what you're doing right. How many of us have went off and done something without examining the scriptures, without praying, and we did it and we got burned? How many? Lots of us, right? We're like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. I'll put my money there. Gone. Or whatever. could be a thousand different things. But if we're on the alert and we're watching out for these things, not going to be that bad. In closing, right here, James one twenty two. We push this on the kids all the time and everybody. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. How many of us have heard a uh, Pastor Matt give a sermon or heard a sermon on the radio or TV or somewhere and we're like, that's a good idea. You know, I need to call that person and forgive them or I need to call that person and ask for forgiveness or I need to make that right or I need to pay that off or something. You know, we've all heard something like, ah, I need to do that. And we make a little plan in our head. Okay, when I get home, I'm going to call this person. His phone number's right there. I'm going to do it. And then we get busy. We get deceived. And what happens? We don't do it, right? We chalk it up. Well, I thought about it a lot. It doesn't, you know. We're not doers of the word, right? We're deceiving ourselves if we think we're doing things and we're not doing it. Or maybe today you're like, yeah, I'm going to read my Bible more. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to go witness. And, and I'm going to pray more. I'm going to spend time with Jesus. And we're not going to do it. And we're deceiving ourselves. And Satan's winning. He's derailing us every time. Okay, and that's what he wants to do. He wants to make us ineffective. He wants to make us look ridiculous. He wants people to blaspheme God's name because of us. Okay, do we want to do that? No, right? We want to have people more and more witnessing out there, telling people about Jesus, fighting the good fight of faith. So when they get to heaven, they'll hear, "Well done, good and faithful servant." Right? Instead of, "Ooh, you just barely made it." I don't want to hear that. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, your word, though, that we can know absolute moral truth. Lord, we know what you love. We know what you hate. I pray that we be obedient to the scriptures. I pray that we be obedient to reading them daily, Lord, and applying them to our lives. Lord, that we be doers of the word, not hearers only. I pray, Lord, that uh, we would work on our biblical worldview, Lord, that we would uh, learn the things that you want us to learn and be able to share them with people. I pray, Lord, that we'd be able to give an answer for the hope that lies within us, and that uh, we do that with a good attitude, Lord, and just not be pounding people with the Bible, but loving on them like you love on them, Lord. And we thank you again, Lord, for your patience with us, for your patience with this world, so that more people can come to repentance and come to know you. And I do pray, Lord, that you would use each and every one of us in here to uh, be bright lights in this dark world and uh, be victorious in our life and not have the devil winning and not letting him deceive us, Lord. So I do pray that we would be on the alert, that we would be diligent, and uh, that we would take heed, Lord, and pay careful attention to what we do and why we do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. 
It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.